It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is comedian Tracy Skeen. She's performing in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through July 17th. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Tracy Skeen, go to Tracy Skeen. That's S-K-E-N-E. And of course, the hard way to spell Tracy, T-R-A-C-I. How do you like that? <laughs> I, I like to say it's the stripper way to I spell like Tracy. That. I like that. Yeah. Go to TracySkeen.com and you can follow her on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tracy Skeen. And Tracy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Thank you. I know you didn't start out as a comic. Is it true you started out as a serial killer? <laughs> I'm just trying to get yes, my facts straight. I was a teenager, so they couldn't put me in jail. Oh, excellent. It was a juvenile. I was a juvenile serial killer. Yes. Always give up the life of crime at 18. It's just not worth it. Exactly right. (laughs) Because once you get into adult court, it's all over. It's all yeah, over, yeah. yeah so yeah. I was smart. I was smarter than the average serial killer. So. Besides, you got all that teenage rage, you know. It's a, it's a good way to channel it. Exactly. <laughs> now, I, I always ask this question to comedians, but in your case, I absolutely have to ask the question, when did you know you were funny? How old were you? Four, three, two, one, still being inside your mom? Where did that happen? <laughs> well, actually, for, I mean, I always made my mother laugh, always, from the time I was very young. So I sort of got that impression. And I, I, you probably find that out with all comedians. You know, they make their parents laugh or they make their siblings laugh. Right. But it wasn't until I would say the age of 10. And I, was, I, and I found out for years, you know, my husband and I ran a, um, uh, an online magazine about stand-up comedy for many, many years. So we talked to a lot of comedians and we found out that at age 10, that's the year you start to understand sarcasm. And that's the year you start to understand sort of adult humor. You know, you kind of make that transition from just goofy childhood stuff to adult stuff. And I think it was at age 10, I realized that what made me laugh was different than what made my friends laugh. You know, I had like, a, a, I, I suppose it's a, a little bit more of a sophisticated sense of humor, I guess, than, um, than my peers. And so I knew right then that something was odd. <laughs> you know, something was something was different, right. I, I suppose. And I, you know, I, I had a, I had an indulgent mother in a way in that she always let me watch, you know, Johnny Carson at night. I was allowed to stay up late and watch the comedians on Johnny Carson. And I was I was able to watch Mike Douglas and all of these things when I came home from school. I loved the comedians, loved the comedians more than anything. Never thought about doing it. And then one night I was actually sitting, uh, watching Evening at the Improv. I don't know if you remember that show when it was on television. Yeah, Bud Freeman. Uh, yes. And I was watching it with my mother and a comedian came on whose name I won't mention because she still does comedy. So it sounds like an insult. But my mother actually turned to me and said, you could do that and you could be better than her. Nice. And that was, that was probably the first time I actually thought to myself, maybe I could, maybe I could do this. Most mothers would so, say to their daughter, I want you to be a doctor. 
Well, it was my father who wanted me to be a lawyer. There you go. But your mother understood your true nature and the fact that, yeah, and the fact she had to get you out of juvenile court and into something legal and legitimate. (laughs) Right. Another, another hobby. Yeah. Rather than than killing people. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Yes. that's, That's interesting. Once you, once you heard that from your mom, did that give you the motivation to say, you know what, I'm going to buckle down, I'm going to write, I'm going to perform, and I'm just going to become a funny person. Well, you well, were a funny no. person. I mean, well, actually, comedian. what happened, it was kind of a stranger turn of events. Um, so my, I have an older sister, and she's, I think, oh, she's almost nine years older than me. And we started going to a comedy show at a bar near where she lived. I was underage. I wasn't even supposed to be in there. But we went to see this comedy show. Another juvenile offense. Yes, I know, I know. I didn't drink, but I was there. And so after the show, we actually started talking to the comedians. And the com- one of the comedians invited us to this club called the Comedy Factor Outlet in Philadelphia, which was a very big club at the time. And so we went to a show there. And the owner of the club spotted my sister, and it was absolute sort of love at first sight. And she actually wound up marrying the owner of a comedy club. Amazing. And yeah, and so as a teenager, so I guess I was 17 at the time, I actually started again hiding out in the back of the comedy club because I wasn't supposed to be there. I actually started watching comedy every weekend. I was just down there watching them, watching the performers do four shows a night. And I mean, I have four shows a night, four shows on the weekend. And I was there every weekend. And I just, it was like, it was almost like going to comedy college in a way. Sure. And yeah. And then through that, I actually met my husband who was a comedian at the time and waited until I was 18 until we started dating. But then oh, I like to wait a minute. Wait a minute. I like the way yes, you got that. Yes, we did. Okay. I did. Okay. I did. Because right. I was right. 17 at the club, but I was 18 when I started dating him. Okay. And after, actually, after we were together for about a year, he knew that I really wanted to do it. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And finally, he said, this is ridiculous. You have to get on stage. So he was the one that kind of like finally pushed me on stage. So yeah, a very odd turn of events. The, the one vibe I get from you, and tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm right. Or, either, ah, okay. or a combination of the two. <laughs> it, and it's a, it's a positive vibe. A lot of comedians that I've known and talked with over the years, over the decades, actually, at this point, but a lot of them are, how, let's see if I could delicately put this, they're neurotic <laughs> and insecure. <laughs> and they don't want to be themselves off stage in a lot of cases. But with all of that, and, and their upbringing is usually weird or or, or something is going on. You come across as actually, I hate to use this term, and it may affect your career, as wholesome. <laughs> well, compared to a lot of people in the entertainment business, I am. Yeah, there you go. See, I knew I, I, knew I was on to something. <laughs> because there are, there, there are the comedians and the comics that I see, not just on television, but in clubs and who I meet and, and talk with and interview with. There are those elements I just referred to, and with you, I get much more of a normal vibe. It's the only way to describe it. Well, well, that's. I mean, I'll take that as a compliment. I mean, I've had, you know, trust me, I've had sort of a traumatic childhood myself. But I think I've always used the sense of humor to sort of deal with any problems that I've had. I mean, I, I think that's been a real a tool that I go to, that I use often. I'm not to hide. I'm not one of these people. You know, they always say with comedians that you're using your humor to hide the pain. And I kind of resent that sometimes because I think, no, we're using our humor to cope with the pain. You know, I mean, some people turn to alcohol, some people turn to drugs, some people turn to very negative things. 
we can actually just find the funny in almost anything bad that happens to us. At least I can, at least my husband can, and at least all the comedians that I'm friends with. But you're right, not a lot of comedians can do that. <laughs> exactly. They sort of go through life maybe a little bit angry and bitter. But I've always, I just choose not to be that way. I just try to, I don't know, I just try to find the humor in everything. You venture pain even, on... Even myself, maybe especially myself. Well, you venture, you know? you venture pain on stage. I, well, it's a funny thing, you know. I mean, I do talk about my life on stage, uh, especially being married and getting older. And, and, you know, of course, my act has evolved over the years as I've gotten older. And I do try to talk about that. I don't really, I'm not one of these comedians that goes up there and, and just kind of like unloads on the audience and, you know, tells them all my problems. I don't do that because I feel like they have their own problems. So my goal is to essentially just try to make them laugh and forget about their problems. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That makes a while. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like kind of a thing um, about two years. I'm losing track of time because of the shutdown and everything. But a couple of years ago, there was a special on Netflix called Nanette. Uh, it was this comedian, Hannah Gadsby, and she did this hour long, just all about her trauma, her childhood trauma. And then all the comedians all of a sudden felt guilty and said, oh, I should be revealing more about myself, you know, and it became this mini trend for a while for comics to go up and just sort of tell all their secrets. And I, you know, I knew that wouldn't last and I knew audiences wouldn't want that. They just want to come in and forget their problems. You know, we're, we're clowns in the very best sense of the word, I suppose. That's how I kind of. Yeah. And I think that's the concept is that people come to forget and to laugh. And there are some that can pull it off. There are some comedians that can pull that off and make their own lives funny and then funny to the audience where the audience maybe gets some insight into their own lives. So that can happen. But generally speaking, you're going there to have some fun. Yeah, you're going to have fun. And like I said, I do talk about my life and I do talk about, you know, various things that that's happened, you know, during the day or whatever. But, you know, I just I don't know. I just try to not reveal anything that's kind of heartbreaking unless I have a really good punchline for it. You know, it's like exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to go up there, you know, and talk about the fact that my mother passed away unless I have a really good joke about it because they're not, the audience isn't my therapist. Right. You know what I mean? They're my audience. Exactly. So. Now, speaking of heartbreaking, you did marry Brian McKim. <laughs> yes. And he is the co- he is the co-author <laughs> with you of the comedy Bible, the complete resource for aspiring comedians. Yes, I wanted to. Get- and, and, and as I always say, since we're aspiring new comedians, we will burn in hell for this. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to give Brian a shout out, considering you know again going back to the typical comedian, their domestic life expectancy, meaning being married, is very short in a lot of cases. But you've yes. been married to Brian a long time. Yeah, we've been married for 33 years. I actually think uh, the fact that we're both comedians helps. I, I, I can imagine it's very difficult for somebody who's not a comic to be married to a comedian because, you know, what we deem important is not usually what, let's say, a, a, a police officer would deem important. So it's always kind of nice. We understand each other. I, I think the reason we've lasted and some other comedy couples, as they, as they call us, haven't is because we actually really don't have any egos. You know, we, we want the best for each other. We don't get jealous if one person gets something and the other person doesn't. Um, in fact, we were on last comic standing together, I guess it's coming up on 11 years ago and he made it to the semifinals that night. And I, I did not, 
And they tried. It was really interesting since it's reality television. They really tried to make it look like we were kind of like fighting each other. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like at odds with each other. Uh-huh. And we wouldn't play that game because we really didn't feel that way. You know, I remember once I got on television, I actually said, all the money goes into the same bank account. Like, we don't really care who <laughs> wins tonight as long as one of us wins. And it was funny. They actually did a really nice job when they put it on television because you can never trust reality TV producers, but they actually made it look like a story where we were actually really supporting each other and really pulling for each other. Which was, um, which, which was the truth. Which was the absolute truth. Yeah. They didn't want that, no. but they, I guess they realized it was genuine and they actually, you know, they went with that version. Which well, it goes back we to relieved. my, yeah, it goes back to my theory of abnormal comedians that the people producing the show probably thought all comedians, even if they're married, would be jealous of their spouses getting ahead in, in, in the competition. Yes, they did, which I found sad, but, you know, yeah. like I said, I just didn't play their game. <laughs> yeah, no, right. So I want <laughs> to talk that well. <laughs> you also, as you mentioned, you mentioned it earlier about your magazine, and also you have the podcast as well. Yes, which we haven't really been doing as much lately. We did a lot during lockdown, and then, I don't know, because we weren't going out and actually seeing comedians and doing all that sort of thing, because we mostly talked about stand-up. It kind of fizzled a little bit only because we weren't leaving the house. It's like we started we started a podcast about stand-up comedy right before we got locked down, which was kind of <laughs> really, really horrific timing on our part. Or, but or, I do want or very humorous. Yeah, maybe. But yeah. after a while it was just like, how much can we talk about just, you know, sitting around and watching television and Netflix and things like that? So but we have talked about it in the last couple of weeks since things seem to be coming back to actually revive it. And, and it's uh, called the show. I, I would like to, because we're good together. Brian and I are very, you know, we understand each other so well that, you know, we're, we've done a lot of radio, of course, over the years, just promoting shows and such. But we're very good at kind of communicating with each other with a look. You know what I mean? It's oh, just yes. kind of like keep talking or stop talking or, yeah. you know, uh, one of those it's deals. Called, so it's, called, we actually, it's, it's called marriage. Yeah. <laughs> And when you podcast and you're married, it actually does work. Yeah, exactly. And it's the Shecky Magazine (laughs) podcast. Does Shecky know that you have this magazine and podcast named after him? It's so funny. Years ago, I can't, I've lost complete track of time with everything. But years ago, the phone rang and my husband picked it up and it was Shecky Green on the other line. Right. And he says, I hear you have a, uh, I hear you have a magazine and you use my name. Are you making any money off this? <laughs> and, and my husband said, I am but a poor, I am a poor but humble comedian. And Shecky said, I've known a lot of poor comedians. I've never known a humble one. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've become, we've, we haven't seen him in a couple of years, but we've gone to see his shows here in Vegas and, and hung out with him. And he's, he's very nice. He's very gracious. Yeah. Very talented. About the whole and thing. Very funny. Well, it's yeah. good. Cause I, I like the use of the name for a generic meaning of comedy. I think it's a tribute to him in a way. It was a tribute to him. And, and at the time, you know, I, I, we started so long ago, there was things, you know, Slate was around. There was like all these publications that were kind of just like this S word, you know, so we were kind of doing that. But the funniest thing is when we actually met Shelley Berman, and I don't know if you've ever met Shelley I have. Berman. Okay, so he he's a little he was a little bit jealous, I suppose, of other comedians. He was 
So he was actually furious that we named it Shecky and not <laughs> Shelly. <laughs> so, that sounds like, it sounded like Shelly Berman. <laughs> I know. So here we are. We're like, oh my God. I never thought that we'd be, we would be apologizing to Shelly Berman for calling our magazine Shecky. Like, oh, here we are. That's a, <laughs> that's a classic, classic yeah. story. Well, if you ever do a second podcast, you can name that one the Shelley Podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. True. Oh my, that, that's great. That's <laughs> very funny. Now, that's I, actually that's actually the best thing about this business, and the best thing about doing the magazine is we've gotten a chance to hang out with so many of these legendary comedians. And you know, we love comedy history. We you know, we see some of these new comedians that come in, and they 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 don't even care what happened in the '80s, let alone what happened you know in the '50s. Right. And we've always loved the older comedians. And any time we get a chance to hang out with them, we just we feel so grateful and, and privileged. Who made you know, the most to be who, in their presence? Who impressed you the most of all the the older comedians that you met over the years? You mean performance-wise or personality-wise? <laughs> well, meeting, meeting them in person, meaning. You know, meeting, you know yeah. the, the, the thing is, well, the, by the time we met a lot of these guys, they were really old. Like we, we met Jack Carter and right before we saw him perform. And it was fascinating because, you know, I kept saying, he's so tiny, you could hold him in your hand. You know, he just seemed like this really old guy. And then they announced his name on stage and he came out and he was just, he was 40 years younger as soon as he hit that stage. That is very, was, very typical. I know George Burns was the same way in his later years where he would be off stage waiting to be introduced. And he was much older than we all remember him at the time. And as soon as the name was announced and the light went on, he shed 40 years and he grew in stature and he went out and performed. It's a fascinating thing. We saw we saw one of the greatest shows we ever saw was back when we were still living in New Jersey. It was called was it called the Legends? I don't know. It was called the Comedians, I think. And it was Bill Dana, Professor Irwin Corey, uh, Mort Saul, Dick Gregory, Shelley Berman was on it. We were his guests. That's that's why we went to see it. And Dick Cavett, like just this amazing show. And Professor Owen Corey comes out, and I thought I was going to have to leave the room. I was laughing so hard. He was just so funny. And he did this one joke. He did a topical joke. And it was actually, it was, a, it was like an anti-Republican joke. And he got nothing on it. And, but then he killed the rest of his set. So we met him. And he was like 92 or 93 at the time. He was so old. And so we met him after the show. And he said, he said you guys are comedians? And we said, yeah. And he said, what the hell happened to that joke? Why didn't they laugh? Was it a room full of Republicans? And, and my husband and I just looked at each other and said, even at 92, comedians are still upset when a joke bombs. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We should point out to our audience, for those who may not know Bill Dana, he, of course, recorded Jose Jimenez. He was the character Jose Jimenez and recorded yes, several comedy he, albums. Yes, he was. And he was great. And that was great. He actually came out and did Jose Jimenez, but he was interviewed by Dick Cavett. And, you know, just 10-year-old me was just flipping out. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I just, couldn't, I just couldn't believe what I was witnessing. It was so great. When you were so. first starting out in your career, were you able to model yourself after a, another comedian, or did you just play to your own personality? Well, you know, it's funny. People assume because I'm a female that I had all these Wait a minute, wait a minute, know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh. When did this happen? What, that I became female? Yes. I, I just, I <laughs> this wasn't in my notes. All I had was a serial killer reference. I didn't have anything about you being a female. 
Yes, I am. I okay. know. I don't know if you're. I don't know. That's like hate speech these days <laughs> if you even say that. But yes, I am. I'm a proud woman. But people do. People do assume that you know all my idols had to be female. And of course, you know I loved Phyllis Diller and all that. But I really loved the comics that I loved were male comics. It was, you know, Martin Mull and, and people like that, people who were just kind of like very droll, very dry, which is interesting because it's like, that's what my husband is. But I didn't, I it was like, I married my comedy idol, but I didn't, but then it didn't affect me at all. It's really funny or it didn't influence me at all. It's just, that's what I liked. And then I became my own thing, I suppose. Does Brian that, give you notes when you get off stage, he's seen you perform somewhere? Does he give you notes and say, you know, this one joke that you do that usually works, it, it wasn't working quite this well. What if we changed it and made it this instead of that? Does he do that? Um, well, we do that to each other. Okay, so the answer, the I believe the answer is yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, we do, we, we, we do that with each other, especially right. if we know the other person is trying out new material right. and we're working together. You know, we'll, we'll kind of help each other out and say, no, it was funny when you said, you know, he just did a new joke recently. And the first time he did it, he used the word bad. And then he used the word good the second time. And there we are like at a diner later. I was like, no, bad is funnier. (laughs) We we have all these bizarre conversations that other people would probably just think we're insane. Well, that's why you're married all these years. Yeah, it is. And we're, like I said, we're like technicians. And and sometimes one of us will do a joke and we'll say, you know what, that would be, that would sound better coming out of the other gender. And so I'll give him a joke or he'll give me a joke. That doesn't happen that often, but you know, like I said, we're not, we're, we're not, we don't bully each other. We're not into competition. We're just kind of like, we, we're technicians. We love kind of the technical writing aspect right. of comedy words. We love words. You know what I mean? So we find that fun. That's kind of our, our hobby is like to sit down with notes and talk about comedy. No, that's we love gr- that. That's great. And one thing I will say about your husband, I've never met a McKim. I've met a McBride. I've met a McDonald. I've never met a McKim. Are you sure that's his real last name? That's his real last name. Yeah, there's not there's not that many. We met. I remember once we met one in Hawaii. We we checked in. We were with his parents, and uh, we checked them into the hotel, and we found out there was another McKim family. They were actually from Australia, and it was. We just all got together for pineapple juice and talked about them being McKims. Which, you know, <laughs> it was about a twenty minute conversation. Yeah, but they were lovely course. people. So. McKim Dynasty. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah exactly. huge. They're all over the world. <laughs> Amazing. So you're 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 based in Las Vegas. Is it a trouble? Is it trouble for you to travel all around and perform, or you're so used to it at this point? Well, we don't do it as much as we used to, and that's one of the reasons why we moved to Las Vegas because we had been on the road for so many years and working cruise ships and and just never home. And so I guess it's been 11 years now. We just said we had to make a change because we were based just outside Philadelphia. That's where I grew up, and so we came to Las Vegas. And it's a funny thing, in our first few years that we were here, probably the first four years, we were still on the road constantly. And now it's just kind of less and less and less as we work more clubs in town. And we don't have to go on the road as much as we used to, which, thank thank goodness. Yeah, that is always a, a bit of a drag. Yes, the road is very hard. So, uh, yes. Like, and it, it, it's so funny, too, because when you first start out in this business, the, the road seems romantic. And then... After a very short while, you realize it's, as people have told me over the years, the stage time is the fun part. Everything else is work. The travel is work. It is. 
it's so hard and people don't really understand that. And when I first went on the road by myself, cause I had been in college and I dropped out of college. I became a full-time comic and Brian and I weren't working together. I was going all over the country by myself for the first few years as a, you know, as a girl in her young twenties and it was hard. And there was a lot of times I would be on the phone with Brian, just crying my eyes out, you know, just get me home. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. And so eventually we, we started, we didn't really want to go on the road together because we were at the time, we didn't want people to kind of like think that our, that, that our careers were one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We wanted to have sort of these separate careers and separate identities. And then after a while, we just realized that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is sanity and a, and a <laughs> strong, and a strong marriage, you know? And so we just decided to go on the road together and I, you know, luckily we, we get along very well. So it wasn't a problem just sharing hotel rooms all the time, you See, know, that, that sort of thing. That validates what I said earlier about you being normal. Yeah. Well, you know what? We've always placed an emphasis on being normal. I mean, we really, you know, we, we're not, we're not partiers, you know, you know, a lot of comics, especially when you're a young comic, you know, part of the appeal is kind of the rock and roll lifestyle and mm-hmm. going out and drinking and, and all of that stuff. And, and we've always sort of, you know, known the importance of getting to bed at a decent time and, and going to the gym and, and, you know, trying to stay healthy Right. And physically and mentally. And we've always put an emphasis on that, which is probably why the road didn't destroy us. But even with all that, it's just it's just a hard life. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Speaking of normal, you have a book called Love and Aliens, the abnormally, there's a normal again, the abnormally normal life of Claire Sullivan. Tell us a little bit about the book before I let you go. I actually wrote, uh, well, during lockdown, uh, everybody during lockdown said, you know, this is the time to do things that you never had time to do. And one of the things I would always hear people say is, you know, I always wanted to write a novel. I've never tried to write fiction before in my life. And so I had all this time on my hands and I actually decided to write a novel and I did it. And it's astonishing to me that I, that I did it to be quite honest, but it's actually based in Las Vegas and it, and it takes place during lockdown. And uh, Claire is a dancer and her husband or her boyfriend in the book is actually a Las Vegas musician. And I really, and then, and then there's aliens. So it gets a little weird, but I really <laughs> did try to do my best to kind of show how hard it was for entertainers to be locked down essentially and not be able to do what we do and kind of how it, you know, it affected other relationships and stuff. So I I don't know. I tried to give that insight. I I suppose, you know, it was cathartic for me, I guess, because, you know, I was stuck inside just like everybody else, but yeah, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud that I did it and it's available on Amazon. And I, you know, I just put it up. I just put it up on a a Kindle edition. I didn't try to get a publisher because I'm, too old for all that rejection. I'll put it up on Kindle, and if you want to read it, you can read it. You know, it's only a dollar ninety nine. Yes, but... I think people can can uh, pop that <laughs> amount of money. Out for it. Yes, I hope so. You never know. With inflation, I should make it like two fifty. Exactly. But no, I'm keeping it <laughs> now. Since you've discovered that you have this talent for writing, or you've this dedication for, or the discipline for writing, do you think you're going to be doing more and more books as the years go by? I, you know, I would like to, it took such a long time that I, I don't know if I would be able to devote that kind of time to it just because now I'm back doing stand up. But I, I have thought about maybe just doing like a collection of short stories because I think that would be a little bit more manageable with my schedule. One more thing before I let you go. The comedy Bible, what's the best thing about the book? 
It actually does inspire people to do stand-up, which, again, I always say is maybe the worst thing about the book. We tried to show people that it's really, really hard, but it's also really, really easy. We tried to walk that fine line between encouraging and discouraging. So, <laughs> and, and the forwarder was written by your mother. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the objection was written by your father, so it works out pretty yes. well. <laughs> yes, it did. Well, thank you, Tracy. My guest has been comedian Tracy Skeen. She's performing in the Comedy Cellar at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino through July 17th. For ticket information, go to Caesars.com. And for everything about Tracy Skeen, go to Tracy Skeen, that's S-K-E-N-E, TracySkeen.com, and follow her on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tracy Skeen. Tracy, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I had a good time. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. When you